Hola. Hola, Charlito. Charlito. Hola, Charlie. Hey Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Is your name Charles? It's Charlie, not Charles. Dre, thank you for being here, brother. Appreciate you, man. What's up, man? How you doing? Interesting times we're living in. The year has taken us by surprise. So how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. 2020, obviously the year um, of all years, probably in our lifetime, man, where we've had to face so much tragedy, right. adversity, um, so many different levels across the board, man. Right, right, right. And how are you doing? How are your loved ones doing? Uh, loved ones are good. I'm grateful for that, man. Like, you know, they say we all know somebody who may have lost somebody to COVID. Right. Luckily for me, my immediate and extended family, uh, we've we've all been good. Mm-hmm. Now I've lost um, former colleagues, people right. who I knew just through like uh, networking that had passed, you know, and I was surprised by. But uh, other than that, man, I'm grateful right now, brother. I feel healthy. I feel good. the best I've ever felt, actually, man. Yeah, well, you look good, man. You, you look man. like uh, you've been uh, you. drinking your water, you know, doing. Some exercises at home. Yoga, brother. Mainly Good. yoga. You know? Good. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that because, uh, you know, recently you and I, we went on vacation and we yeah. did some yoga on the beach. Yeah. But uh, you've been talking to me about yoga for, you know, many years now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I definitely want to get into that with you. I personally, I haven't experienced any loss uh, just like you, but I do know friends that have lost a parent mm-hmm. or, or two. Actually, I have yeah. a friend, a fraternity brother that lost two parents to COVID. Um, I also know a few people that I've crossed paths with right. that, that have passed away. Um, there was particularly this one person uh, that was a groomsman in one of the weddings that I was a groomsman. And he oh, was wow. a young dude. He was like probably 42, 43. Damn. Young, uh, you know, young black brother, um, you know, a bit husky, a bit, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he had any underlying conditions, but unfortunately he passed. Jeez. Um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I didn't have, I didn't know him that well. Right. But, um, right. but again, still very sad. Uh, how have you been dealing with the shutdown, with the isolation? I know some people have been struggling. Some people have thrived. Mm-hmm. Me mm-hmm. personally, it hasn't been that bad. Mm-hmm. I thought it would have been bad for me, but I found ways to really just enjoy my isolation. Mm-hmm. I found so many books that I've been wanting to read for. So long that right, now right. I had time to read. Dope, um, dope. At first, I was really big on the, uh, you know, continuing to work out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That went to shit when I realized <laughs> that I needed weights and I needed a bench. You don't need that, man. You don't yeah, need that, man. But you know what? Something about weights really gets me going. Right, right. You know, it's just like that. You know, I pick things up and put them down. You know, like, <laughs> I need that kind of energy. I need to be around meatheads. Right, right. You know, all that testosterone. But because of... What are you trying to get out in the gym, man? This is why you need more yoga, man. This is what I, I know. This is what I preach to everybody, I man. I know. The centeredness of it. Um, there's so many benefits from it, man. Like, I know. I know. But what happens to my demons? Like, at least at the gym, I can experience my demons. Like, when I go to yoga... You know, I'm trying, I'm just trying not to die. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bikram yoga. Too. 
Well, Bikram, Bikram, yeah. Bikram, I mean, yeah. that's, but that's, see, that's the thing that, um, that's one of the misconceptions is like, it's, it's easy. It's just stretch. It's just stretching. Right. Um, I, I actually, funny story. So I got put on to yoga, maybe not so funny, but I got put on to yoga through this woman who was just like yoga tomorrow. Mm. And I didn't even know. I mean, I knew her, but like, I didn't, I didn't talk to her in a while. There was no reason for her to text me. And then I just snatched that right out the universe and was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> out of I, nowhere. And, out of nowhere. And you had never done it before. I had done like um, uh, an on-demand, okay. like randomly years ago when I was younger. Okay. But I, I, I snatched it and she was, she waited like 30 minutes and then responded, okay, cool, let's go. <laughs> I have to ask you this question though. Was she hot? Well, you know, listen, sometimes it, you know, it takes someone being hot to get you into a yoga studio. Listen, doesn't matter how you get there. They say. Right, as long as you get there. As long as you get there. That was my same experience when, when it came to college. You know, a good friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go to college. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I don't know, you know? And, and then he looked around. I've shared the story many times. And um, he pointed towards the buildings and was like, you know what? Imagine if this was college. Imagine if this was filled with people your age. Right. Well, right. this is college. And imagine if the female to male ratio was seven to one. Like, this is college. And I was like, oh, bad. shit, you know what? I need to get to college. Right, right. And you know what? That got me in the door. And obviously, it wasn't all about, you know, women. Of course. It was about everything else. But, yeah. And look at you now, man. Look at me now. Look at you now. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing I fantastic. It, <laughs> I love it. I love the growth, brother. Yeah, man. So... Did you turn into yoga, doing yoga more, or did you do other things such as meditation? Because I know you and I, we've spoken a lot about meditation as mm -hmm. well and, and mm -hmm. what that, you know, the benefits that you've seen from meditation. I personally have seen benefits from meditation, but I just started doing that recently, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. year, 2020. Actually, I really started doing it uh, during COVID. Gotcha. Okay. You know, and it's a perfect um, time. you've been doing it for a while. So I've been doing it off and on for about six years now. Okay. Um, my, my practice is more consistent, not as consistent as it used to be, but it's pretty consistent right now. And I go through spurts. Mm. Um, and I will, I am what you would call like a streaky player. If we were to use like a sports analogy, I, for the most part, man, it's the practice that keeps me most grounded mm. that mixed with reading, uh, and yoga for me, COVID, I spent like the first couple of weeks just kind of figuring out what the hell is this? What are we going to do? What am I going to do uh, with my life? I mean, I was, I have a pretty successful consulting business, right. a few other projects on the side. Everything was cool, but it was more about like my mental health. I was, I didn't quite know how to figure it out. So the first couple of weeks, I was just kind of in my head. And then from there, something triggered me. And it just made me very introspective in a positive way. Right. I started reframing conversations that I was having with myself, mm -hmm. not with others. And I just, it allowed me to spend more time with myself as opposed to by myself. Right. And as, a, as someone who considers themselves a strategist, I don't look at the problem in the problem, like in the vibration, in the condition of the problem. Because you're not going to fix that shit there. Mm -hmm. You have to rise to another vibration. It's almost like going out to look in. 
but rising to another vibration to see with a clearer lens what's happening right now. What, which, what am I to learn from this? What can I gain from this? Who am I going to be? Who do I want to be on the other side of this? And it was those empowering questions that's taught to you like in a few spiritual classes, one of which I've taken, that really helped me along. And the answers are kind of like, I want to be prepared post-COVID to not only continue to have a successful business, to be healthier, to be a better person, and to be able to help more people. I want to be an instrument to help folks um, who are going through this right now. Yeah, and I feel that that does the same thing for me. Like I'm less triggered, mm-hmm. which is highly important, especially in my field. When, when uh, you know, clients you know, approach you with problems that right. for them are like life changing. Right, right, right. Um, and, you know, dealing with that energy, also dealing with family members. So that's great, man. But did you learn that at an early age or did you learn that as like a full blown adult? I learned that as a full blown adult. I questioned everything growing up. I always had a I was always like inquisitive. I didn't I didn't trust like uh, conventional religion. Um, but, you know, raised from two black Southern Baptists. I went to church every Sunday mm. up until I was probably 18. Actually, my father told me, when you turn 18, you don't have to go to church anymore. So like the first Sunday after my birthday, I never went to church again until mm. I was probably like 25. Fast forward 10 years later, I, I just start to discover spirituality. And that was, that was the belief that was most aligned with me because it talked more about self-development, turning within, looking with inside yourself as opposed to looking to some external figure, white Jesus, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And then, you know, and not looking at God in form, looking at it in spirit. And those were, those were things that really like turned me on to spirituality as a whole, man. Interesting. Interesting. Was there a specific event that turned you? hundred percent. What was that event? This was a breakup that I had that you're aware of. Oh yes. Yes. yes, Yeah. It was that breakup. I was engaged, man. I was engaged. Okay. You know, they girl, by the way. Oh, yeah. She was amazing. She yeah. was amazing. And they say a lot of a lot of awakenings happen after life-changing circumstances or life or life-changing events. Right. I should say. So for me, it was one of those things where I just had that awakening like right away. Mm. In in a similar situation to COVID, let's say, like you have to ask yourself these empowering questions. Who do I want to be on the other side of this? This is just a moment. This is not going to last forever. So I started asking those questions and slowly but surely uh, learning certain tools and practices, I came out of it. Interesting. And I came out of it great, man. Like, I came out of it, like, out the gate, 100 miles an hour. Really? You know what? And it's a shame that sometimes we have to go through breakups or mm-hmm. through traumatic, other traumatic situations to force us to come face-to-face with ourselves right. and actually right. learn these coping mechanisms. You know, I really do think that it should be a part of the curriculum. 100%, yeah, man. And I'm not sure, I, I don't understand why it's not. And I think, I, I'm sure it is in, in some schools, you know, in some schools, right. but um, some of the, you know, the schools that I knew about, the schools that I went to, yeah, um, I, but you went to public school, right? No, no, I went to private school. Oh, you did? I okay. went to private school, so there I'm was sorry. a... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, listen, listen, you know, I'm not... It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, but, uh, you know, I went to private school, and uh, what I gathered from there was that there was a strong emphasis on, on discipline, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on discipline, on getting things right, on looking the part. You know, yeah. um, looking that's the, the problem. problem. That's the problem. The high school that I went to, which, look, 
I, th I think the high school is phenomenal, you know, and I appreciated everything that my high school did for me. Um, and I really do think that it was a movement for black and brown kids to, to get into uh, certain universities mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. move forward in life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but at that time, dealing with the representations that they, that they had or dealing with uh, what they knew, you know, what was best for us, uh, there wasn't a strong emphasis on actually learning yourself. Right, um, right. There wasn't a strong emphasis on understanding the student and uh, making sure that the student was aware of his passion Mm -hmm. of his mm -hmm. talents, right. and then going full force on that. It was more like learn the curriculum, you know, speak well, dress right. well, um, and then you'll be successful in life. You know, work hard, yeah. and you'll be yeah. successful yeah. in life. And you know yeah. what? To their credit, it took a lot of kids out of the hood. They did well. Is so now, black and brown kids? In all, mostly black and brown okay. kids. Mostly dope, black. And, and we had really good alumni. I mean, we have really good alumni. Mm -hmm. I continue to support the school. I've spoken at the school before. But I would like to see that implemented where there's coping mechanisms in dealing with, with kids from different types of environments, um, whether they're middle class or whether they're low income. Right, right. Each student has to learn what it is that they have to do to put them in a centered place, mm -hmm. to put them mm -hmm. in a position where they can be themselves. And that may be doing breath work. That may be going out to the gym. You know, like I feel like a lot of the times we wait to feel good to right. go to the gym as opposed to going to the gym to feel good. To feel good, right. You know, so right, right. it's like I would like to see that change. And I yeah. would like to see that changed in the school curriculum. And maybe they teach it like that. I didn't receive it that way. Yeah, I don't I don't think they do, man. I think that like, you know, formalized education isn't taught in that way for, you know, a variety of reasons. Right. Um because, you know, they get they get paid per student mm. to teach a certain curriculum in a very structured way to prepare you for the next step and then right. the next step prepares you for the next step, so on and so forth. Right. Um and I but I do think the lack the lack of diverse thinking um, and the lack of successful schools, that's what led to charter schools popping up in certain communities. And, and, and people, like a lot of people vehemently like, oppose charter schools, and it's a touchy subject, especially uh, with what I do. But for me, it's kind of like, it should be up to the parent. And from what I've seen, charter schools have a lot more freedom with their curriculum. Mm -hmm. And they could dig in more on black history they could have a whole course in like black history that kids are learning every single day. Right. Um, and I know a school like that right in Bed-Stuy. Wish I could think of the name of it right now, but like they teach a prim primarily black curriculum mixed in with traditional like American history and curriculum. Dope. So those are the, I, I wish I went to a school like that. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, there's going to be a school like that in New York City. It's going to be in Brooklyn. Mm. Oh, You know, because the history, you know, black nationalism in oh, Brooklyn yeah. is, is rich in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's what's up, man. And so now you're dealing with isolation. You're dealing with COVID. And thank God you don't have anyone close to you that actually, you know, passed away due to COVID. Mm -hmm. But then you're dealing with what you're seeing on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, with the, you know, with the George Floyd case, with the right. Breonna Taylors. Right. Um, what is your reaction to that? What was your reaction to that at that point? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, so I, I limit 
uh, my television watching. Mm. I limit... And we, we spoke about that a lot when we went away. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I limit, you know, my interactions with certain types of people. Like, I, I'm very conscience, conscious of uh, my mental diet, what I digest, right? Certain music, like all of that. Uh, so I wasn't even really watching the news. I wasn't even really going online. But on... I remember I was uh, on May 25th. I did a I did a conference call, uh, and May 25th that's that's the day George Floyd was murdered, mm. and I did a conference call at 10 o'clock in the morning that day. Hadn't watched the news. No, I'm sorry. I watched the news right before, and I was just like, did I just see what I thought I saw? I was like, what? what? But I didn't get the whole story. Right. I get on this call, Zoom. Don't turn on my camera. Just sitting there, mm. and then just kind of like. It ended in like 10 minutes because they read the room um, from all of the black folks on that call. From there, I get off the call. I'm sitting there. And this was a call for something political? This was for a client. Yeah, okay. this was for a client. I jump off that call and I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm, I start writing um, a business strategy for my nonprofit because it's about helping people of color. So again, I'm thinking about what does the other side of the pandemic look like? And then I see that, I get off this call, bro, I got on my bike and rode to the Barclays Center and started protesting. Wow. And Was there a crowd there already? There was already a crowd there. Okay. The crowd gathered there probably like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that was the first day that kicked off the protest in New York. Not necessarily the first location, but the first day. And when I was on my bike and I asked myself this question a lot, it was, what's your intention to go into this protest. What purpose is this going to serve? Not just for you, but like of the greater good. Right. And it was like, you know what? If I'm number 5,001 that shows up, America needs to see a high level of resistance right now, specifically from black people and all types of black people in all types of spaces. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going. And then I was down there. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't been to a protest actually since the one where we ran into each other in 2006 with Sean Bell. Right, 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 right. So In Queens, right outside Queens. of uh, Supreme Court, Queens yeah, County. Yeah. yeah, right outside the courthouse. So it wasn't, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like I was new to it, but I also didn't consider myself to be like um, a criminal justice advocate at, by any sense. But it was, it was that day when I was down there that I started marching, and then I just started marching every day, man. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like, you know, as someone who works in politics, who works with politicians, I'm uniquely positioned to hold them accountable if necessary, but also bring the information both ways. Like, this is what's happening on the ground. Right. Y'all are disconnected if we're talking about elected officials. Here's what we want to see, right? And if I'm talking to politicians, I'm sorry, if I'm talking to activists, I'm kind of like, Here's how we need to do this strategically. Like, we can be out here all day, every day, but we need to ensure that the proper policies are being introduced in the different levels of government right now. Policies that affect, like, communities of color and specifically black folks mm -hmm. in a very aggressive way. So that's, 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 what, that's what led me to go out there, and that's what I had been doing, like, in the pandemic, protesting uh, with a mask on and just kind of, like, uh, it enhanced all of the work I did. I was just crazy busy. I was just drained 
Right. And I, rem- I remember, man, I was, I was marching down uh, Flatbush towards the Manhattan Bridge, and we had just passed Juniors. And, you know, we got, I'm seeing, like, older black men and women going in the opposite direction in their cars in their 60s and 70s. Honking the horn. Honking the horn, black yeah, power yeah. fist out the window. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm giving my fist back, right? Showing solidarity. And then it hit me and I'm like, oh shit. We're fighting their fight. And the people younger than me are fighting my fight. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, why are we even fighting this fight right now? I was like, why am I in this street right now? Because the system does not respect you, man, is what I came up with and what I said to myself. I said, this is my, this is my legal process. This is my legislative process right here, marching. And I'm like, how unfair is that, that people of color, in order to get our voices heard, have to march for justice, for a system that is designed exactly the way it was supposed to be designed, but constantly reminds us that we are not created equally. Right, right. And those types of situations remind you of that, and it does so abruptly, and it forces you to stop what you're doing, stop that client meeting, you know, put your Zoom camera off, right, and just get out your couch and just hit the streets with people that you don't even know. Don't even know. By myself out there. By yourself out there. By myself. Not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing... If there's going to be one person that may do something that can provoke a police officer. Right. And, um, it, and that happened. And that happened. And I understood. And I understood why it happened. And there's an, there's an energy that like comes over you where you're kind of like literally by any means necessary right now. Mm. And this is, this is a, again, a good place to talk about yoga. This is where my yoga practice like really helped me out because that I want to... Did I want to go at the police? Hell yeah. Like, when I saw people going at the police, was I like, oh, no, they shouldn't. I was just like, man, it is what it is right now. Right. Like, if, if we're talking lawlessness, we're talking lawlessness. Right. But in me, it was like, that's not your lane, brother. I know. Listen, and that's, that's, not your lane. And that's a part of, I remember when I was first interning for a Supreme Court justice, and I was going to a protest, and I forgot what the protest was about. Mm. You know, and that's and that's a shame. That just tells me that there's so many protests that right. I forget right. which right. protest I went to at that time. But um, the judge was like, "Well, that may not be your role right now. You're in the process of going to law school. Mm-hmm. You know, let the protesters do that right now. You can protest by, you know, becoming an attorney and and creating change through the legal path." And I was like, "Yeah, but I really want to be out there in the streets." Right. You know, you know, and and that's what I saw in this protest or in these protests that I went to. Uh, and it was people from all different ages. Um, I saw lots of diversity. Mm-hmm. I saw people mm-hmm. uh, expressing anger in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understood that that was their way of expressing it. And I wasn't there to judge them for that. Right, right, right. Exactly. You, I exactly. wasn't there to judge them yeah, for that. Yeah, you know? yeah. You don't know people. Everybody grieves differently, right? Everyone grieves differently, and you know what? Respect is bi-directional, right? And you can argue lawlessness is bi-directional as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and if I didn't have you know the privileges that we have, mm-hmm. such as education, mm-hmm. such as the ability to create change outside of the streets, right, right, we right. have other options. 
I would probably be doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because what happened is outrageous, you know, for a country that declares to be a, a land of the free, that Bullshit. declares that everyone is equal, declares that we have, you know, that we have gone beyond the years of Jim Crow, you know, and the attitudes that that uh, permeated during that time. All that is bullshit. And Straight bullshit. We're just dealing with it in a different way. Right, right. That's, that's all it is, man. Well, glad to know the self-care that you incorporated into into your daily life paid off in a way where you know you didn't get out, you know you didn't do anything out there that that would have provoked anyone mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to physically harm you or others anyone right. around you. Yeah. But let me ask you this, you know, um, and I always ask this to 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 folks that are out there in the streets protesting because I also wonder if they were triggered by what they saw not only because you're a human and what you saw morally wrong Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. have you ever experienced an encounter with a police officer in your life hell yeah that you would say you know what I was done wrong my rights were violated I was disrespected definitely brother definitely more times than I can count man more times than I can count I got I got pulled over in front of my house because I was coming around the corner and I saw DTs jump out on these two young black kids and just start searching them. And I was like, fuck that. They probably, they think no one's watching. First of all, how old were you? This was, this was last year. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was last year. So I'm like, fuck that. These kids probably don't know that these cops can't run up on them. Even if they do know... They're like, I can't do anything about it. Like, I'm going to get violated. So I stopped my car and I started recording. And I'd never done that before. But I just felt like I had to do something. Right. I just come back, came back from the grocery store. And they let him go. And then that, that's when I left. The cop yelled out, you didn't get what you wanted to, did you? And I just kept going. Bro, I'm on my block. <clears throat> I was like, this motherfucker's about to pull me over. I was like, cool, I'm going to pull right in front of my house. So I'm double park. I just double park in front of my house because I know there's about to be an encounter of some sort. And License and registration. License and registration coming up. And I'm still recording. Come up to the car, flashing the light. There's four of them. And they're like, they're like, and they see I'm recording, so they're trying to like embarrass me. They're like, oh, you got a lot of tickets on your license. I was like, tons. He's like, oh, your license was suspended. I was like, a few times. I was like, it's good now, though. But, like, it's, I'm, I'm laughing now, but I was, I was nervous, man. Of course. I was fucking nervous. He was like, he was like, what are you, he was like, what are you doing? I was like, I live right there. He's like, you know, you can't double park right here? I was like, I live right there. He's like, you should park right there. I was like, there's a hydrant. So that was, that was the most recent encounter. And it's funny because the next day, my neighbor was like, he was driving in his car and he stopped me. He was like, yo. I saw the cops fucking with you. He was like, I was standing right there on my stoop, waiting. Waiting. He, waiting. Was he recording? I don't know if he was recording, but like, I didn't even really know him like that. But that, that's like the black solidarity. Right, of right. Like, I don't even, I, and, and shame on me for not having that relationship with my neighbor at the time. Right. We're becoming cool now. Right. But it was like, he was looking out for me, and I didn't even know it. And that's just one of many encounters, man. Right, 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 one right. of many. There are good officers out there that are doing amazing work, Right. Agree. There are. There are. I know some. And I have friends that have retired uh-huh. and are also still on the job, right? right. Um, but this is about accountability. Us 
feeling confident that an officer is not above the law. So if Taylor's boyfriend, when I say Taylor, I mean Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, Mm -hmm. right? Kenneth Walker would have shot and killed an officer while practicing self-defense in his own home. Do you think he would have been indicted on a murder charge? 100%, brother. 100%. 100%. Like, like that, that case, man, is like... I, I, I remember watching uh, the Attorney General in Kentucky uh, announce the findings of the grand jury. Uh, and not the findings, because obviously they're concealed, but like now they can come out. And I don't know the, the legal reason as to why. But I remember him doing the press conference, and his press conference was so... It's probably because the defense attorney can now have access to their grand jury testimony. When it's done, it's actually done in secret. Got it. Right, 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 right. Okay, got it, got it. Um, but I, his, his press conference was so convoluted to the point where I was like, have I not been following this case for the last 190, however many days it was, four, I think? Right. But the misinformation in, in that he was providing and the lack of information that he was providing to intentionally peddle confusion was just like, yo, this, this is the systematic oppression on a whole nother level right. that we constantly are talking about. And... The sisters, Breonna Taylor, because we have to say her name. I can't say the sister. Her name was not even mentioned one time. And that tells me everything that I need to know right there. That there is no value for black life, especially when you're going up against any sort of system that's in place by this government. Zero. Right. And you know what? And and the person can even look like you, you know, but that was a, you know, that's an example that that doesn't even matter because it it, it's matter. really, it's not about individuals. It's, it's about institutions and it's about the culture yep. derived yep. from these institutions, breeding these institutions or a culture that is breeded by the institution. He, he failed. He failed. I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't go as to far as far as to say that he failed. Uh, just black folks, I think he failed American people. Because that speaks to the core of confidence, or that Mm -hmm. speaks to the core of government and the confidence that people have, you know, about the government, you know, whether they're going to act judiciously, whether they're going to be uh, acting out of fairness, Mm -hmm. um, irrespective Mm -hmm. of class, race, gender. You know, it's it's a shame, but... That's why we went on vacation, right? Exactly right. We went on vacation. Exactly right. uh, that was our way of promoting our own individual self care. Right. You it's know, you came now. through. You came through. You know, I invited you to come out to Mexico. Yeah. We yeah. went out there for a few days. Um, like amazing. I mentioned before, we did yoga on the beach thanks to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, we smoked yeah. cigars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, had amazing food. Read our books. Read our books. You know, you had chocolate cake in the middle of the day. <laughs> Don't know where that fell in the nomenclature of the self care, but yeah, uh, that was a lapse. Okay, that was, okay, that was, okay. That was definitely a lapse. But you got to treat yourself. Okay, okay. Yeah. Listen, I'm not judging. Because I was in there. Yeah, I was in that were. chocolate cake yeah, towards were. the end. That's why I don't know why you're trying to, why you always bring that <laughs> shit up. Like, like you weren't enjoying it. 
but hey, you made the decision, man. I was trying to be good. You're trying to be good. I appreciate it. But that. um, you were reading this book called Spiritual Economy. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I just wanted to ask you, what is that book about? Yeah, so uh, spiritual economics is a, is about reframing your thought process, um, not just about the conversations you have with yourself, but around money, right? Mm. And not not your own personal money, but the way we view money. So one of the examples that it gives is, you know, when people start saying, "Oh, we're going to," you know, they're like, "Oh, the market's going to crash. We're going into recession." It creates this like. It, can, it has the potential to create this collective fear or this collective depression that then comes down to like someone who's like not playing the stock market or just anybody anybody in in the world right. to start to say, oh, I knew things were bad. I knew it, right? And something as large scale as like, oh, the market's going to crash doesn't necessarily mean it, it affects you personally. Right. And it's about the understanding of wealth and riches being merely a belief, right? And it's about how much do you believe in yourself? And it's about removing the poverty mentality that a lot of people have in this country to think that their successes in the physical sense, right? Because we're talking about money their successes and opportunities are limited, right? And that right there is a limited belief. Right. No, there, and it, it talks about having unlimited opportunities, an abundance of opportunities. And instead, folks tend to think the opposite of that, which that mindset creates the action and the thoughts around money that people have. And it's about reframing that, man. So like... I read that book like three times. That book, that book. I mean, I read most books three times, but like that book especially was very dope. But like, here's the thing: like with all, I don't care what I don't care what the title of the book is. I don't care what the subject of the book is. It all comes back to self worth. Everything like that's for me. That's the baseline of spirituality. How much do you value yourself? How much do you believe in yourself? Because once you believe in yourself, and not for like, believe in myself, like, oh, I can go onto your roof and jump over to the next building. Not like that kind of belief, right. even though I probably could do that. Right. But no, when they're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> when they're talking about believing, like, self-worth, it's like, am I worthy of X? Am I worthy of Y, of this thing? Right. And once, once you start to believe that, and I practiced this and had probably the best year of my life last year. Because I started to, I started to understand what my worthiness meant, and then I showed up, just like that clip you shared about Jay Z. I don't shrink in any room. Right. I walk in as myself. I am one hundred percent myself, and that and that's how I move too. That's why I appreciated you you sharing that, man. And I had a few friends that almost lost their jobs as a result of that. Post. Yeah, I don't think that like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what he was saying is be yourself. But, like, you got to know yourself yeah, to be yourself, exactly, right? Exactly. You got to do the work. Right, right. You got to do the work. You got to understand what takes, what it takes to be successful in a certain space. And, you know, that takes work. It doesn't but come once, from the clip. It doesn't, it doesn't come from the clip. But I would have thought my listeners, my viewers would have had mm-hmm. the intelligence to understand that a prerequisite to you being yourself. You have to do the work. You have to go into... Yeah, right. 
you have to you have to go into a space knowing that you could get things done, knowing right. that you know your shit. Right. And then you could be who you are. Right. Or it's easier. No, easier. actually, it's easier. You right. could be who right. you are whenever. Because you but trust it's yourself. Easy, but you trust yourself. Yeah. But when you trust yourself, it's easier to be who you are because you don't flake mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on how people receive you, depending on people's criticisms, depending on whether there's something that you did wrong. You know, folks that have the highest self-esteem know how to bounce back. That's right. Know how to bounce back. And people and folks that have the highest self-esteem know themselves the most. 100%. 100%. I mean, that's what I think. No, that's, that's real. It was, it was the more I believed in myself over the course of my life, like, you know, the more things I've done, mm. the more money I've made, right. the more opportunities I've gotten. Just because, like, trusting yourself is... You feel it, and other people feel that energy, too. It's kind of like, oh, I can't really fuck with him or her like that because they're not on some shit just out here. And, and like, we're filled filled with a world of people just constantly making shit up, right? right? And people people going off of, like, false imagery of, like, who they think they are. So now we're not even, like... And the best is when you meet those people, man, and, like, especially, like, through business... And you can kind of see through them. Because if you're sure of yourself and you're dealing with somebody who's not, there's a good chance you're probably dealing with their ego. And you don't even match that shit. You don't match their ego. You just stay in solid and like who you are. You take it in if you have to take it in. And then you just move accordingly. And they don't even, and they don't even know what's happening. Right. You're basically doing like mental jujitsu on them and they don't even know it. Of course. And it's not like, and, that's, and that in itself, as I'm hearing myself say it, that's kind of an ego trip, right? So there's a managing right. of, yeah. of that yeah. piece too. So so you're like this overstander of like all of all living things and all knowledge. <laughs> I get you. All living <laughs> the, breathing things. All living breathing things. No, but it's true though. Like you you know, it's it takes a person that knows his own ego to to see the ego in others and then know how to like maneuver around those egos. You know, along those lines, like in my profession, I feel like I deal with a lot of egos. Definitely. You know, and um, and there's energy in that. You know, if you do the work, if you meditate, if you do whatever it is to like put you in a position where you're not easily triggered. Right. Uh, you just observe it. You see it the same way you see, observe and don't judge your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You don't try judge them. You, you know, you try not to judge them as much. You're like, you know what? That's that's who you are. You're probably coming from that place because of this, that, and the third, but I'm not going to give you the reaction that you want. Right. Because right. I think I think that's what you want, and exactly. it's not going to happen. Right. And even and even if that's not what you want, how does that benefit me? Right. Does right. that further me in any way, spiritually, financially? It doesn't. So you know what? I'm going to let you think what you want. I'm going to move Keep accordingly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't stay in that place long with people. I only deal with it if I have to, and it's like... It's just, it is what it is, man. Right, it is right. What it is. You know, we were out there and we were talking about finding perspective. Do you think you found some kind of perspective or was it just being able to relax and refine the perspective that you already had? I mean, here's here's what I find, man. And like, I kind of told you about how my energy was dipping right before I went out there. And, and I think a big part of it was uh, I was overextending myself uh, in terms of work. Uh, in terms of some of the efforts that I'm working on, in terms of being out there protesting, like, you know, working working in the field of politics during a pandemic, like, all the work was heightened. 
working in a time with, you know, seeing nonstop police brutality, like the work in the work is heightened. Right. And then like as a black man, that work is heightened, like on a personal level. I jumped into so much shit that was just for the sake of us, our people, that when that trip came around, man, it was like, oh, man, like, I need this. Right. Like, I, you remember, I deleted Twitter. Yeah. I deleted Instagram. Um, back on both now. But the key, the, the <laughs> I key, the key I is, though. We're going to last a few more days, man. What happened? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You have to you have to reward yourself or acknowledge yourself positively, even for small victories, right? Because part of the problem, part of the challenge that we get into is like we're looking for we're always looking for these big wins and these grand wins, and to do something that I'd never done, it was like, all right, you got to thank yourself and be grateful for that. But to go back to what you said, the, the point that I almost too, got too far away from, in terms of perspective, for me, it's very simple. It's just always about remembering. Like who I am, right? And that goes back to trusting yourself. Sometimes we could just get so caught up in on, on this physical plane, we forget who we are, right? And that's that's no. And not, social media exacerbates that. And social media has the potential to exacerbate uh, that. You know man. what? I just saw the social dilemma on Netflix. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Somebody just texted me Ooh. about that the other day. Bro, it explores the human, the dangerous human impact of uh, social networking with uh, by uh, having interviewing text. Tech experts sounding off the alarm on these programs that they themselves designed. Wow, and how much they like monitor your behavior, and how much they might monitor your behavior, manipulate your actions. Um, you know, it explores the damage that it's caused already to society. Uh, it explores uh, it explores the exploitation of its users mm-hmm. uh, for financial gain, the surveillance involved. You know, surveillance as far as like, you know, you could be like, we could be talking, and you can say something about. Jordans, like you wanted to buy new Jordans, and all of a sudden, nonstop, yeah. You log on to Facebook, and all of a sudden, you have the new Jordans there, right. like as advertisement. Um, so, you know, that's what they talk about. They also talk about, they talk about also data mining, mm-hmm. like finding out exactly what you're googling, what right. you're what you're researching, and then feeding you that same information or information to corroborate the information sure. Sure. that uh, you. I'm smoking cigar. Is no, that is yeah. that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You good? This, okay. I'm I'm a visitor, but I appreciate you asking, man. You know, I mean, after I lit the cigar, I asked. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you know, and how is just look? I hate to you know people are going to think that I'm a communist. You know, as many times I talk about capitalism, but that's okay. It's it's you know sometimes when we focus so much on capitalism and making money mm-hmm. and making sure that we're well. As social media, if you focus, if your main focus is to make money and create advertisement revenue, mm-hmm. then you know, are you really considering the harmful effects of that? Probably and not. this may lead to addiction, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're trying to maintain usership, that if that's even a word, then you're encouraging addiction, right? And you know, and it also talked about, you know, social media addiction and uh, how usership. You know, amongst young people have mm. gone up, right. um, you know, right. obviously putting them disconnected to like things that are going on around them, how suicide has gone mm. up within young people and they attribute that to social media. So this film is actually pretty, pretty interesting. I'm going to check man. it out. Yeah, yeah. Somebody hit me up about it. This is, this is like the second or third time I heard about it. I'm definitely going to check it out, man. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, like yeah. if you want to talk about conspiracy theories, I know one negative impact. Donald Trump. Don't Listen, <laughs> he's thrived. You know, and who was the first president that benefited from social media? Obama. Obama benefited Obama, from Obama, social media. Obama was the first president that benefited from social media, but like digital media was surprisingly was George Bush. That was the first president that benefited from it. Like, and we're just talking like regular like emails. Mm. He was the first, I believe, that actually started an email campaign. Really? Yeah, that was the uh, first person that was running for political office. Interesting. Okay. Well, I didn't get that email, so I didn't know about that. You got those emails? I probably did get those emails. I don't know why you would have gotten those emails. It was a joke. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. Is there like, something that second, I should know about second. you right here? Is there something that I should know about you? But, um, but yeah, so, you know, it's just reinforcing information that you're already searching, and they're just mm-hmm. giving you more of it. Um, it doesn't matter if it's false or not. They don't listen. Listen, let me tell you something, man. I think 2020 is a wake up call, right, for for the world, and we have a choice to either move differently or continue to be the same person that we always were. Right. I, like, and, and and this is this is like not me talking. This is based on. Everything I read around spirituality uh, and, and believing in your own intuitive faculties mm-hmm. and recognizing everything that's happened around you is not accidental. Right. Right. So everything that we face right now, like I said, all the tragedies that we face, the police violence, the pandemic, um, all the images we see and hear from Donald Trump online and the, and the Republicans and the racism and, and like just everything right it's the moment when we all have to take a look at ourselves and say how am i going to do things differently and am i going to perpetuate positivity or negativity this is a this is a moment this is this is i firmly believe this is a moment and if people treat next year and the year after the same way then we're screwed it's the year where people have to do their jobs differently. Yeah. It's the year to stand up and say, nah, enough is enough to whatever that is. You can't move like that. You know, honestly, and it but can't it's be so hard, but it's so hard. Like today I did breath work. Today I did meditation. I logged on to Instagram though. And, um, and I normally don't go back and forth with people on Instagram. I normally don't. I normally don't. But you there was a... You almost ruined my day today, man. You know, almost, I had to send legit. you that. You legit almost ruined my day because, like, I, if, if commenting, I, for me, they uh, could take my comments away because I don't comment on people's shit. Quick emoji, I'm out. That's right, it. Right, right, right. I don't talk. Yeah. So I fucked up today and I got caught up, you know, but I was triggered by the fact that this officer who, he, he's actually a lieutenant who mm-hmm. I respect because he's really big on community building. Right. Um, and he was, since the George Floyd incident, he's been overwhelmingly promoting videos of protesters being violent towards police officers. Propaganda is how I would classify it. Okay. Propaganda. I'm trying, I'm trying to stay objective here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. You're right, you're right. So I saw that as disingenuous, and I called him out on that. I said, look, if you really want to gain our trust... And if you really want the communities to feel safe, 
then you need to use this time to not over to not only share one-sided videos of police officers getting involved with these violent protesters and also making it seem as if like all protesters are violent. Mm -hmm. But I need to see that same energy when it comes to holding your own police officers accountable. What are your efforts? How are you contributing to chipping away at that blue wall of silence? He's not going to do that. You know? That's, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You gotta Because I need to see that. Because then that shows me that you're really about community building. But what if he's not? What but what, what if he doesn't show me, then I look at it from... I try to look at it from a holistic sense, right? And I say, well, I'm not in the thick of things like he is. He's probably seeing a lot, right? He's probably engaged in very difficult situations that I'm not, right? So I'm not taking that away from him, right? He's a human, and I'm sure he responds, and he probably has some traumatic situations that he's still processing, and that may affect the way he perceives the world, right? But I think it's my duty as a person that understands branding and understands the culture of the NYPD based on my work with them, or should I say against them in court, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to speak out against this branding. You know, this person was, this, this lieutenant is a person of color. I think he's Dominican. Look, honestly, I, you know, I don't think he's a, I think he's a really good dude. Right. But don't be out here selling this image that you represent, that you, the way you move, the way you talk, in your Spanish, right. in your Espanol, right. right? With that little <laughs> Dominican flag. Right. You know, the way you receive people from the community, the way that you possibly vote, right, is in line with the majority of the NYPD department, especially when your union rep or, you know, from my understanding, not all police, of, not all, not all police officers have the same union, but the largest, the largest union, which is the New York Police Department Benevolent Association, endorsed Trump. Probably. So... Yeah. You know, you can't turn a blind eye to that. So this is the culture that exists within NYPD. Yeah. So so let, let's talk about that culture clash. You cannot turn a blind eye into the fact that you're patrolling communities that are largely democratic. Right, right. But I don't even... But here's, here's how I look at that. Here's how I look at that. I, I am not... I am not in the business of changing anybody's mind. Right? Yeah. I am. I, I, I should have spoken to you this morning. Before <laughs> you spoke to me too late. I know, I know. I, I am in the business of believing in myself, believing what I know to be true, right? Um, and, and moving with what feels good. So, in that, what do I mean? So, if I've seen a majority of officers behave in a certain way, behave exactly how they're supposed to, exactly how they're trained to, similar to other government agencies uh, or government entities, law enforcement or not. I am not saying that I, I go into that thinking negatively, but I don't go into it expecting like a positive result or a positive outcome from an oppressive system. Mm. But I don't go in like, oh, this is going to 
B, whatever it is, whatever the situation I may happen to deal with, I go in with today might be the day where I can strategically dismantle the system. And for me, that's through like political participation, mainly because that's what I do. And I see the different avenues that I could take and empower other people to go out to vote or get civically involved locally, nationally, whatever the case may be. So for me, it's going to be like, what's the, what's the law, what's the legislation that can move, that can help to change this? Who's the person in power that I can move that can help to change this? Who are the people that are most active that can help me or who I can help to move this person to change this? And that's why it always comes back to politics and voting for me and electing the right people to office. And I don't say that like as cliche, but there's a few of them out there locally, like in New York, that will really get in the NYPD's face. And then there's others that will take the money from the police union, but also talk bad about the police union as well. Now, it really just comes down to supporting right leaders who have the right policy and getting behind them and getting other people to get behind them. So talk to me about these leaders. Who are these leaders? So there, there's a couple in the state Senate right now who are really just like, in New York that is, who, who are really just on fire right now. Um, some of my clients, I mean, I'm going to big them up, obviously. But State Senator Zelnor Myrie, like he is a, he's, I mean, he's the election chair of the state Senate, but he is, he is one of the, the strongest criminal justice advocates and sharpest legal minds that I have ever seen. And when it, when it comes to criminal justice reform, he's willing to call them out when necessary. He's willing to take, he's willing to take a stance that says maybe it's not necessary to call them out right now, but he's willing to push the limit. He's willing to do whatever it takes. Mm. And from politicians right now, I need politicians that are willing to do whatever it takes. And not all of them, not all of them have that in them. But I need to know that you're on the side, or you're on my side more so than you're on the other side, whether that's the police, whether that's Right or, or certain systems or whatever the case may be, or wanting to be diplom, you know, for the for the interest of wanting to be diplomatic, and making sure that you don't distance yourself from other um, other there's, agencies or other yeah, parties. There's little there's little time for diplomacy in certain areas right now. That's how I look at. It. That's what I meant by doing your job differently. Right. Like uh, I'll give you an example. So in what was it? May, maybe in June. Um, there was a bill before the city council. Like, you know, we all saw, um, speaking of Eric Gardner get choked by the NYPD, I think it was 2015, right? right. And there was a chokehold bill that was supposed to pass then, then it did it. It was lobbied for every year up until this year by his mom and a bunch of activists. I wasn't involved in that. Um, but it finally passed this year in the city council. And I was like, all right, like there's a little bit of movement. This happened after George Floyd, like politicians had to respond only to do some more research to learn that that bill had been on the books for 30 years. Mm. Right. And only to learn as recently as a month ago that they're now trying to rework that language in the chokehold bill simply because cops have been complaining that it restricts them from doing their jobs. Right. 
the fuck is that? So like, what happened to that bill? So it's being, from what I hear, it's being reworked right now. So there's a high probability that it's going to be reworked. And I don't know what all of the language is, but this is what I mean about doing, about doing your job differently. I, I've, I've just reached a point where I've reached a level of frustration that I'm willing to call anybody out about anything. And I guess I should expect the same if I'm, if I'm at that point. But no longer for me is, is there a motivation that's not linked to the uplifting of people of color. Mm. Straight like that. All right. Okay. Are there any others out there that you think are, are worth mentioning? Uh, one of my other clients, Hakeem Jeffries. Um, I've seen him out there. Yeah. Calling, calling people out. Mm-hmm. He was actually the sponsor of the um, Justice and Policing Act and the Eric Gardner chokehold bill that has not passed federally. But there's a lot of good politicians out there right now. Okay. There's a lot that aren't worth shit. <laughs> there's more that aren't worth shit. I think this time, this time of like government shutdown, this time of like really seeing uh you know who's really for the cause or not this time was a time that exposed many people politicians business people companies they show their true colors yeah yeah so now I, i feel like we're moving different not only because the system is different but because our leaders some of our leaders some of our visible leaders mm-hmm. i feel have changed faces yeah, yeah. Some, some, some of them have evolved too, man. Like you can't, you can't do your job the same way you did your, this. You can't do your job in 2020 the same way you did your job in 2019. Right. If you were coasting, I don't care what industry you were in. If you were coasting and you were just getting by in 2019, you are probably a failure right now in 2020 because there was, there was too much, there, there was too much conscious accountability and some people just completely missed the mark on that. Mm. Some people, it became performative for them. And they've been exposed. Right. Right? So, like, that's why that's why I say COVID was the, or 2020 and COVID, this is the wake-up moment. 2020 is the wake-up year. Right. For everybody. So, what do you think about that? What do you think, you know, because um, you and I, we've also spoken about um, that time in, in, you know, Playa del Carmen, we, we spoke about that we were just like trying to get our minds off of like social media and everything that was going on out here. Meanwhile, we spoke about things that were going on out here. And um, we spoke, you know, without saying their names, about, you know, several organizations that were very visible prior to COVID, prior to the pandemic, Mm -hmm. that um, during the pandemic became pretty much invisible. Right. um, Right. As if their lifestyle you know, that they promoted uh, only made sense when they were profitable, not when you know, social justice issues came to play. Right. And, and what do you think about them? Like, uh-huh. like, do you think that, okay, we should be forgiving of these organizations that mm-hmm. really didn't find their way through all this and uh, couldn't create, you know, especially with their huge platforms? Right, right. Didn't take advantage of the moment and... Um, empower people to go out there and actually put pressure on on the local government, on the local police departments. Mm-hmm. On mm-hmm. think about that. So I think that I think I think two things. One, 
I would need to know what they did in addition to like just having large platforms. And I, obviously I know what we're talking about, but like these were like very like social uh, organizations. Of course. And to me it would be what, what they did, not just for themselves, but what they did for the community prior to, right? And that would probably come from employees. The partly, and then the second thing I would say is, it's it's hard, and I don't think it's my work to judge how people are showing up. I can see it for what it is, right? But it's also like some people are just doing the best they can right now because it's a lot to deal with. Right. Some people have been have amazingly pivoted, and some have not. But I think that for the ones who didn't even really try, I don't know how much longer they're going to be around. Mm. But I know people, I know a lot of people that are, and I try to have a positive take on everything, but I know a lot of people are just trying to do the absolute best they can right now, uh, given everything that's going on. Right, right. Yeah. You know, because you can never underestimate the effect of losing everything. You know, people lost thousands did. of dollars um, during this time. Dollars, like millions of, of dollars. Right? Of I mean, I don't, I don't know those people, but... Right. <laughs> <laughs> people, you know, I, I forget. I was, I was trying to go... I was talking to somebody about going to a restaurant. They're like, oh, they closed down. That was like the third time. Like, oh, that, that closed down. That closed down. And yeah. I'm like, damn... About a few weeks ago, I read an article. It was like 1,300 restaurants and bars had permanently closed down. That's sad, man. In New York City. You know, so many folks' livelihoods, savings, investments just went down the drain. And, and, this, and this is, and, I, and I'm always going to bring it back to this. And this is, this goes back to what I said before about like knowing my lane, right? So my lane in a situation like this is what could have been, been done differently, Right. And this is why it always comes back to, for me, electing the right leaders and finding who those leaders are. Because the right leaders would have shut New York City down two weeks earlier mm. and would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Interesting. To be exact. I, well, let me not be exact because I've not been tracking. But somewhere in that neighborhood. But when you have... When you have cowards masquerading as politicians the people have a serious problem on their hands and when you're seeing a lack of leadership you know for example from like mayor de blasio people didn't know what to do well, like just gonna call him out yeah i'll call him out like i'll call him out all day long i'll call him out all day long um what do you think about cuomo let's stick with de blasio for now okay okay um, you got shit to say. Sam, <laughs> this is your moment. <laughs> so, if we were to just shut the city down, right, we would have saved lives. If we had any sense, any sense of leadership, guidance, and direction, we would have known how to move. Right. Now, granted, like common sense was also, you know, lacking from a lot of people, not just in New York, but all over the country. Um. But folks didn't know what to do, man. Businesses didn't know what to do. Businesses were told like, oh, we're closed. Like, I remember, I remember when de Blasio, twice, 
was out there doing press conferences talking about, oh, it's safe, it's safe, get on the train. He was like, the schools are going to be open next week. Cuomo was like, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I was yo, like, what's going on? Yo, he grown bans him every chance he gets, man. And I just look at him like, damn, like, get off the court, man. Like, he looks like he doesn't even belong in the court. Why do you think that is? Um, is it is it that he's trying to appease everyone, or is it that he really doesn't know how to run? I don't think he knows what his values are, man. A city. I don't think he knows what he no he doesn't know how to run a city, but I don't think he knows what his values are. I think that's part of the problem. When you don't know what your values are, like you're susceptible to anything. You're susceptible to what's happening, like in that moment. I can't remember. A lot of folks are criticizing him for, for putting homeless folks inside of hotels mm-hmm. in Midtown mm-hmm. Manhattan. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, mm-hmm. you know, but I know some of the folks that I know that live there are, are having issues with that because not because they've been placed there, but more because they haven't been given the resources to make their stay there productive. They're just in the streets without, without the proper resources. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, it just feels that, you know, this wasn't fully thought out. This was more of a reaction yeah, that's what by de Blasio. Yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of what it's all been. This is, this is why I talk about, like, like, what are your values? Because, like, he toes the line so much that you don't really know, like, what he really stands for. Right. And at the very least, you can respect someone even if you disagree with them, but you know what they stand for. Unless, of course, they stand for racism and oppression, right? But if you have a different view on housing for me, I don't need to belittle you. I don't need to, like, attack you. It's just different, and maybe I'll spend time proving to you why my idea is different or what I think is better. But for him, we don't know what his values are. I don't know what the dude believes in. I know that, you know, he has a half-black son and a half-black daughter, and a black wife, but when black people were getting their asses beat on the streets, I know, and run over by police vehicles, I know that he said that his officers acted appropriately the following day, which I could not believe. But yeah, like we got away from the homelessness. But yeah, I don't know what the dude believes in. He seems like every chance, every time he has an opportunity to tackle a big problem, he goes into it half-cocked. And has and then kind of just folds. Like he's way over his head. Way over his head. Yeah. You should run for mayor, actually. I mean, listen. I think you could. I have hookahs on every corner. <laughs> um, a lot more barbershops. But um, <laughs> so my question to you is, what do you think about how Cuomo has dealt with the pandemic? Cuomo, Cuomo was two weeks late, too. Really? Cuomo could have shut the city down. Um, so I can't give him a pass on that. Okay. So let's say, starting from when he shut the city down, what do you think is... Like, how would you rate... How would you, you know, if he was to, like... Or rate it from one to ten, how would you rate him? I'd give Cuomo... I mean, are we judging on form? Are we judging on style? Oh, mm, so that's very true because he was out here like press conferences every day. President Cuomo—that's what they're calling him. President Cuomo—they were calling him I mean, President I was, Cuomo. Listen, I was like, Yo, Cuomo shouldn't. Cuomo knows more about COVID. Yo, he knows more key? about everything. Everything than Trump. 
Right, right. So and I was like, President Cuomo, let's do it. The bar, the bar was incredibly low. The bar was incredibly fair low. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> That's it? That's it? That's it? <laughs> incredibly low. Okay, okay. But overall, passing grade? Cuomo? Yeah, I give a passing grade, of course. Okay, all of right. Because yeah. we have to hold these people accountable. You know, Every just chance because, we get. Just because we feel like our agenda... As folks that want to see communities mm-hmm. of color thrive, just because we feel that a specific party or a specific politician helps us chip away at that agenda, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we should not yeah, hold their shit to the fire. You yeah, know? doesn't doesn't mean that the forest man. There's a there's a lot more measures, laws, legislation that need to be passed. Right on every level of government, but focusing on New York, like specifically right here in New York, man. Or right there in New York, wherever. I don't know where I yeah, am. Yeah, we're, we're close enough to close say New Jersey. Okay. I mean New York. Okay. So yeah, right there in New York. So I, I need to see, and I don't, I don't know, I've probably seen maybe one or two politicians like this, but I need to see a politician that is talking about reverse engineering all of the racist, discriminatory, and oppressive policies that are on the books right now. Right. So for me, the like that person is not out there right now. You know, but he he was out there and I'm talking about Governor Cuomo, he was out there saying, I'm with the protesters at a very pivotal time. For 24 hours. Oh, that was just 24 hours? Yeah. Because I stopped watching news after that day. Yeah, so that would make sense. Why okay. Would say that. Interesting. Yeah, for 24 hours. I mean, Damn, he did I got say caught that. up. He said, he said he was with the protesters. But, like, again, 2020 is the year where you need to do your job differently. Right. Saying you're with the protesters is one thing. Saying you're with the protesters and showing me through legislative action is a total different thing. Right. And I have not really seen that. I have not seen that on the state level. I haven't seen it on the city level. And I haven't seen it... We've seen it on the federal level, but it's a whole different makeup because it, it really doesn't matter what you do in Congress right now because it's never going to get through the Senate. And it's never going to be passed by the president. Mm. So talking about that, talking about the president, right? Um, how important is the vote right now for this election? It's like, it's the most important election of our lifetime. Straight up. I believe that. Point blank, period. I don't even know how to put it into plain terms. Other than, like, because at this point, with 30-something days left... 36, 35, 30, I don't know how many days. Like, people are voting. Early voting is taking place right now. Absentee ballots are being mailed right now. I personally plan on voting in person. But right now, if folks know Donald Trump for who he is. I don't want to get into all of that, all the distractions around that. But we see what's happening with the Supreme Court. We see that, we see that, and this shit's not funny. But we see that he's talking about not accepting the election results. 
right? Yeah, what's this up is, with that? This is to incite. This is this is all like distractionary measure, measures. You think this is hundred percent? Do you think if he was to lose, he would be like, "All right, I'm out of here." No, I I don't think he would. I don't think he would be like, "Oh, I'm out of here." But I do think that most agencies at that point will know that there is a transition of power, whether it's law enforcement agencies, whether it's secret agencies that exist that we don't even know about, right, and don't think there aren't any, they will remove his ass from office. Okay. That will be a complete embarrassment to this country. Your optimism gives me confidence. Listen, man. I appreciate that because I was losing many nights of sleep. Don't lose sleep over that shit. He's leaving. And and why they're talking about it right now, this is the problem. We're spending too much time on what the hell he's talking about. Like, oh, he's not going to leave office. Oh, he's a liar. Oh, he said there's no shit. I have a phone. I know know when someone's lying. I know what the guy is talking about. Show me what you're going to do to improve this situation for the American people right now. Specifically black folks. That's what I want to say. Okay. How close do you think this election can become similar to the election in 2000 with Al Gore and Bush? It's going to be razor thin, man. It's going to be razor thin. Man. The margin. You know, speaking about speaking about that election, um, um, the, the Brooks Brothers riots, you know, that organization that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, that disrupted um, the recounts in Florida. Mm-hmm. Roger Stone, the organizer, yeah, yeah, um, said that uh, Trump should declare martial law if he lost the election. So I didn't see that. Yeah, and and obviously Trump has insinuated that he's not going to leave, you know, willingly. So, so, so if it's uh, that close, uh, uh, if it's that close, uh, you know, and obviously Florida, I think Biden is uh, losing. Some ground in Florida. He, he he was up by a few points. I haven't seen the latest poll. I imagine it to be a dead heat pretty much everywhere right now. Okay. Yeah. But I, I here's what I would say. One 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 other thing, um, in terms of like how important this election is. So, we we see, we're seeing what's happening with the Supreme Court right now. He's trying to rush through a pick. Of course. To give the conservatives of an ed, an edge. So if he does lose, he can challenge the results, go through whatever parliamentary process he thinks he can go through. But like in the Constitution, he has to leave. He has to vacate the White House by January sometime, but inauguration takes place on the 20th. So the reason why this election is so important is there's about and this and this is why, you know, uh, Democrats get caught up in this whole fight of. Is this person liberal enough? Is this this and that? And like, so while we're over play, we're over here playing this game. We think about like all the people, all the Republicans that ran against Donald Trump, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, and now the same ones that are pushing his agenda, because that's what the Republicans do far better than us right now, is they move in a unified fashion. Mm-hmm. They focus on the lower courts to prep judges for the higher courts and for the Supreme Court. He he has, I, I read something the other day, he has appointed more judges to the court than 
any other president in history other than Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. What the Republicans do is they nominate judges to the lower courts that are in their like 40s and 50s. What we have done is nominate or, you know, rest in peace, RBG, but... The Notorious. The Notorious. Flatbush. She should have stepped down in Obama's second term to let Obama put in another justice. And we wouldn't even be in this situation right mm. now. The Republicans put in people there that are on the courts that are a much younger age, so they know that they can put forth their measures um, for a, long for a time. lifetime, man. Right. For a lifetime. You know, and it's so pivotal, it's so crucial now, because I believe when you look at the spectrum of liberal or conservative, I think it's like 5-4. And, um, and now, with a pick that, that Trump may have, it can be 6-3 in favor of the Republicans. What I find funny is that in 2016, when it was too close to the election for Obama to nominate um, Judge Garland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know, Republicans were really hardcore about it's too, you know, like, let's wait for the elections to happen. And then here they are pushing for this nominee. Less than um, 40 days. Less than 40 days to get it done before the elections. Because they stand together, man. These these people have, they have no moral compass. Right. Or they do, but it always leads them in the direction of more and more power. Right. There's no value-based system with the Republicans. They're going to do and say whatever they need to do to hold on to power, and that's that. There's something to be respected about that. There's zero to be respected about that for me. You except don't think, for the fact that they keep winning. You know, there's there's folks out here that are, that, you know, look, I consider myself progressive, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm voting for Biden. There's no qualms about that. Right. But there's folks out there that are so progressive that they're, that they're saying, you know what, there's no um, party out there, there's no pol- politician out there, candidate out there that represents fully my interest. And I'm like, well, there's a nuance to that. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you may not be fully satisfied with either of the candidates, but there's a candidate that's likely more open to hear you out. And you can start ch- chipping away at um, an America that you want to see eventually. Right. You know, which one is going to give you a platform? It may not be the, the same platform or uh, the extent or the size of the platform that you want, but which one is going to give you a platform that you can work with? Right. And folks right. are like, you know what? Fuck it. If it's not Bernie Sanders, fuck it. Right. If it's not this person, fuck it. And no. I don't agree with that, and I don't respect that. And that's why I say that I respect, you know, the Republicans and how they move in that way where, they're, you know, they're like, you know what, fuck it, we're going to support this person, mm-hmm. um, even though they don't specifically um, align with my own ideals. You know, and, the, you know, they think more long-term as right, opposed, right, as opposed right, to us. Right. Most, of, most of the folks don't want to vote because... There's no candidate out there that's going to ra- radically change America. And that's not I mean, that's the right way to... I, that's what we need. Right. Right? But, like, also, this is chess. 
I don't know. Am I wrong for that? No, no, you're you're not wrong for that. Like that's absolutely what we need. But you can you can only go after that when there's an actual option for that to take place. There's no option for radical change right now as it pertains to electing a president. Neither option or the option that Democrats have, that same people have, he's not radical. Kamala Harris is not radical. Like they are they are Democrats who probably lean more moderate, but they're not xenophobes like Donald Trump. They're gonna listen to black folks. And the reality is this, I don't care who the I don't care who the president is or who the those people that you're describing who they want. They need to be holding the president accountable either way. But right now, we need to come together, vote for Joe Biden, vote for Kamala Harris, and then hold Joe Biden accountable. Right. I'll be doing that personally. I'm going to vote for him, and I am going to hold him accountable on day one, Right. period. But, right, but the difference is that our folks on our side, there's some folks on our side that don't agree to that, don't subscribe to that. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Right, and that's why we're in the position that we're in now. That's exactly right. They did the same, like you said, they did the same thing in, in, in 2016 with Jill Stein when she ran. And, you know, there's, there's, there's an argument to be made that she was absolutely a spoiler candidate. Folks, folks deem that as a protest vote. Folks think that, you know, my vote for Joe Biden is a vote for um, a conventional candidate and I'm not going to, it's going to delay the radical changes that I want to see. I'm just, I'm just, it's a continuance of what we've already seen. Oh, he's no different than Donald Trump, which is complete bullshit. Right. Let me ask you this. And this is a real uh, question. Do you think Biden mentally has the capability to be president? Yeah, I think, I think he does. I think he does. I listen, I think, Biden is old. Um, I think the presidency is more than the actual person. He, he or she is is just the face of the office, but they're not. They're not doing. Um, they're not doing. They're doing a lot of work, but they're not doing most of the right. work. They're bringing in their people. They're the spokesperson. Right. <laughs> right. They're the spokesperson for the office essentially, and we want them. We want them to be rooted in. Uh, real and good values, but, like, they're just a spokesperson. Right. You know, despite the fact that she should have uh, left office, or not left office, but left the bench mm -hmm. in Obama's second term, we have to shout out the notorious... Let's shout her out. You know, RBG. 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 Grew up in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. BK. Flatbush. Flatbush co-founded uh, the the Women's Rights Org ACLU, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, she was one of those judges that uh, kind of like kept government in check when it came to like women's rights. Uh, I think 100%. I think she said that uh, the government. She was quoted by New York Times saying that the government has no right to interfere with a woman's body. I mean, even though she decided against partial abortions. But for the most part, she was pretty protective of women's bodies mm -hmm. and gender uh, pay discrimination. She made it easier for claimants to actually bring cases against their employers for gender pay discrimination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she did a lot, man. She yeah. did a lot. She did a lot. For sure, man. For sure. Not denying that. Um, it's a tremendous loss for 
not just the Supreme Court, but for this country. Like, and I remember, man, like, we would see all those, we would see all those memes, we'd see these stories, she's back in the hospital, and it'd be like, oh, just oh keep holding God, on. Just hold on. Just hold on. Hold and on. then, like, it was just like, oh, devastating yeah. news. Yeah. And right now, they're trying to rush it. I think uh, Trump has someone that he wants to nominate already, right? Yeah, he has. A, he has a, she's a woman, right? Yeah, Amy uh, uh, Coney Barrett, I think her name is. Okay. Um, you know anything about her? No, I, I I just know that she's being, so she's, she's being compared as the female version of Judge Scalia, and that tells me, horrible everything I need to know right now. That tells me everything I need to know about her. I mean, there's great she, legal writer, but totally not aligned with what you and I want to see America become. Right, and and also, um. I mean, there's a fear that a Judge Barrett would undo Roe v. Wade, right? So, like, that's a that's a very uh, real thing. That's and, crazy. And has and has said that she is opposed to Obamacare as well. So she's not even, she hasn't even been she's been floated behind the scenes, but she hasn't even been um, introduced as a potential pick. Maybe by the time this airs, she wills, but she hasn't even been introduced, and like we already have two strikes against her. If you're a Democrat, scary man. So and you know, and what I read was that one of the ways to stop this from happening is to shut down the government. You know, sometimes part of, you know uh, the Senate has done that, where they voted to shut down the government. And, you know, they could prolong it so that the nomination mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can happen after the election. Right, right. But there was a vote against a government shutdown. So that's completely taken away. So, so I didn't see the vote. Um, but that is, that is one way. Um, the Democrats don't have very many options right now. Um, but they... Listen, the Republicans are going to be strategic. They're going to try and rush this through uh, as, as quickly as possible. And our, and our best hope is, is for Democrats to really give it everything that is required right now mm-hmm. to ensure they, that, they, that the Republicans do not rush this pick through by November 3rd. Like, I don't, I don't know the parliamentary procedures that they could use right now, but like... They're working on it. Right. They're working on it. So the vote is important. A lot of folks have never voted before. Mm-hmm. You, folks like you and I are trying to encourage them that this is the election that you have to vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you didn't vote for Obama, I forgive you. But this is... I don't. Okay, at this point, I'm trying to bring them <laughs> on this side, man. See, like, how important... First of all, let's start with New York. How important is... Voting in New York, a largely Democratic state, you would agree? Um, large leans Democrat, but obviously... When hasn't ever oh, not leaned Democrat? Uh, Governor Pataki, he was a Republican. When was that? That was, what year is that, man? That was, um, what, Coleman? I don't remember. Back in the early 80s? No, probably in the, ni- in the 90s. Governor Pataki? Yeah, Governor George Pataki, he was a hmm. Republican. 
Interesting. He was governor. He was governor before Spitzer, and Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer, I remember him. And Spitzer had um, his scandal. Yeah. It's done, and then David Patterson, and then Cuomo. Mm. But yeah, so so yeah, it leans it leans Democrat, but can go Republican. Right. Um, I'm Listen, I drove to Lake Placid uh, a few months ago. The amount of American flags, and it's crazy how brilliant that branding is. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. now you see an American flag, and you're like, right. You know, right. you're like, okay, it, it means different to me now. It means completely has a complete, completely different connotation. But I did now. see a lot of Trump banners. You know, mm-hmm. so I, you know, um, and I, I do understand that we're in this bubble called New York City. Right. Right. Uh, so I'm wondering if we're still going to be leaning. Democratic this time around. So yes, you know what? To to answer my question, it is important for everyone to vote. Hundred percent. You know, so so the the outcome of a state's election dictates basically how many. It, it basically dictates how the electors of the electoral college are going to vote. Right, so New York has a certain amount of electoral votes. Um, I forget the number right now, but it's based on the results of the presidential election and how the state votes, and that's typically how the electoral electors of the electoral college. Which state has the most votes? You vote. think? Uh, California. 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 All right, so California leans largely Democratic, yes. but it's really about those states in between. Yeah, California. California has some. California has some red pockets, but for the most part, uh, it's Democratic. Mm. You know, larger cities tend to be Democratic. This is true. Yeah, Miami goes so back and forth, not so much. Not so much. Those I mean, days. Miami, Miami-Dade is pretty Democratic, but, like, there's a lot of Republicans in right. South Florida. Right. Including the governor. And they came out in 2000 to make sure Al Gore lost that election. Yeah, brother. Yeah. But um, for a long time, we've lost sight. Of those in between states, mm-hmm. and those states were the states that put Trump in power. And how are how are we faring in those states? Right, right. Is there in this any, climate? In this climate, is there any sense of how we're faring in these states? I mean, in those states. I mean, so like I said, it's it's pretty much a a dead heat. the The race is at a dead heat right now. From the last New York Times poll that I just saw, in terms of like state by state. You know, it's it's hard for me to make that assessment from New York simply because, you know, I'm I'm used to seeing you're used to seeing like people on the ground interacting in a completely different way than they are now, because a lot of things are virtual. Like it's not viewed appropriate to be knocking on people's doors or be to do a public event, right. unless of course you're Donald Trump and you're still holding public events right now and right. not like giving a fuck like who's getting COVID. Um, but Biden right now seems to be in a dead heat with Donald Trump. And that obviously always fares better for the challenger than it would for the incumbent. Okay. We should feel encouraged. So uh, we shouldn't start plan. you know, making plans to move. Oh, we should make those plans. Oh, we should make those plans. Yeah, we should make those plans. Okay. Where are we going? Um, I'm thinking Jamaica. Damn. St. Anne's. You know, you gotta edit that. I I can't give away my escape plan. Oh. Like, you gotta edit that out. Man. You know, you know, I'm going to Australia. 
Australia. Yeah, it's in Australia. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've probably seen me in Santo Domingo, hanging out, hanging out out there, man, out. with my shirt tucked in, you know, with sandals on on the beach. But um, it, you know, this is the first time ever that I've actually considered living in another country. In another country, and I don't want to do that because I'm I'm really I really do. I'm I'm proud to be an American. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's something that I I rarely say, but I, I'm proud to be an American, mm-hmm. and I'm proud of the potential that I see based on the brilliant minds that reside in this country. Right, right, right. But for some reason, in the last couple of years, we can't get our shit together. We can't get our shit together. Look, I think if Trump does win. That creates a need for folks like you and me to actually continue to stay active mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to and to continue pushing our agendas. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, but you know what? Talk to me about the electoral college. Mm-hmm. Like, is that you know a lot of folks go back and forth with it. I don't know too much about it. Some folks say that we don't need it. Other folks say that we do need it. What's your position on that? So I I'm. I don't think we need the Electoral College. I think most people would think we don't need the Electoral College. When you when you look at the the history of it, the entire thing was based on a compromise because the framers couldn't come together to say, oh, a president should be determined in this way. Like, let's let Congress vote. Others were like, no, a president should be determined in this way. Let's let them win by a popular vote. So the Electoral College was a compromise. But think about the time period in, in which that happened. 40% of the South, right, were black slaves. Mm-hmm. And they that's when, that's when they had introduced like the three-fifths of a person. This is what led to the Civil War, uh, which eventually led to like the black codes to restrict black folks and, and how they and how they would be uh, treated by each state. Uh, through restricted government actions and, and all of that stuff. Now, fast forward, when we look at why Trump won in 2016, even though he lost the popular vote, the, the 19 states that he did win, no, I'm sorry, the 31 states that he did win, he won the electoral votes in, right? Mm-hmm. And for Hillary, I think she won about 19 states and won electoral votes. So in his 31, he won 300 and eight electoral votes or something like that. And she won like 200 and, I don't even remember, like 220. So it's the first person to 200, not not first, like it's a race. So it's the first candidate to get to 270 electoral votes. That's who wins. Now, the electors from the Electoral College, they base their vote on how their state does. Right. So if 31 state, if Trump wins 31 states, doesn't matter how big those states are. It matters how many, uh, how many electoral college votes they have in there, and the states he won had more, and that's why, that's why he's the president right now. But in theory, it was created to be a buffer. Here's the funny part: it was created to be a buffer. So if the general population voted for an unhinged president there would then be the electoral college to say, uh, actually, 
we're going to vote on this election. We don't want this president in there. They're not fit. They're not qualified, whatever the case may be. But we're dealing with that right now. Right. And clearly it's not serving the purpose it was intended to serve, which is why we should just let the people speak, let our votes count, and abolish the Electoral College. Mm. Period. What do you think about those that live in these uh, smaller states with less people mm -hmm. that probably don't get the electoral votes that we would get in New York City or right. California, or in New York, I should say, and in California? Um, what about what they say that, you know, we should get as much of a right as these overpopulated Look, states? I, let's let the results all come down to a popular vote. One of the reasons that they... One of the reasons that they they wanted the Electoral College to exist was because they thought that voters would, would not have the required amount of information to make an informed decision on who the president should be. And they're like, oh, like, we're going to ruin the country, whatever the case may be. Right. But now, like, just, just think about everything we've been talking about with social media. Like, we're on information overload, right? We, we receive a, uh, an abundance of information, more than we would ever want. So that's an argument out the window right there. I think two things should happen. I think we should abolish the Electoral College, and I think we should expand the Supreme Court if the Republicans are going to play this game. And expanding the Supreme Court does what? Expanding the Supreme Court will give more voices towards left-leaning issues if Joe Biden wins, right? Trump will not do that. A majority of Republicans in this country don't even want him to select someone right now. So this is this is going to be a very this is going to be a very interesting. Why do, you, why do you say that? Why do you say that? Why do you say majority of Republicans do not well, want Trump to select someone? This well because there's as as racist as America is, there are these certain beliefs that white Americans have as a country where it's it's about proper a proper functioning government and uh recognizing its past where the supreme court is 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 a is a institution that you just don't mess with you don't play politics with it and strangely enough i was surprised when i saw those numbers so when you see somebody like trump they're kind of like all right he's crazy he's gonna do this he's gonna do that but like, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about what he's doing with the Supreme Court right now. Right. Because that can be 10, 15, 20 years. Or longer than that. I could, yeah, that could be at, at, at bare minimum. But it could be way longer than that. And that's and I think people are fearful of that because they're already seeing that. Like, what has he really done anyway? Um, so so to give him to give him that kind of power, they most people feel that there needs to be a check and balance in government. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why when you win. Most presidents who win, I don't know the stats, but it would be overwhelmingly high. Most presidents who win, the opposite party wins in the midterms. Right. That happens almost every time. And the Supreme Court is viewed in the same way as a check and balance. What are your thoughts about mail-in vote? Uh, I know I, Trump has repeatedly questioned the validity by mm -hmm. voting or questioned the validity to voting by mail. And... I know the Democrats have raised concerns about Trump withholding funds in an election, you know, during this time. So right, what, right. what are your views on that? I mean, look, this, this guy is like a straight-up cheater and a liar, right? 
he will do anything. Tell me how you really feel about it. <laughs> he will do anything to try and retain power. And this goes back to what I said earlier regarding, um, you know, don't we can't get caught up in the disinformation campaign that he's running, at least not as voters, right? This is why Congress is in place to be a check and balance on what he's doing policy-wise and from a legal perspective. For us, we got to go out there. If we can vote in person safely, if we feel safe and we're in good health, we should go out and absolutely do that. There is no merit whatsoever as it pertains to voter fraud. And while government agencies can't be trusted at all times, the FBI recently came out and said there is no reason to believe that voter fraud exists. Just looking back at the history, it's like less than 0.00002% for voter fraud. These things pop up here and there, and... The, the closest example we've seen has been on the Republican side. In 2000, when Al Gore lost Florida by 204 votes, or whatever it is. If people can mail in their ballots, they should absolutely mail in their ballots. If people can vote in person, they should vote in person. If they want to vote early in person, they should vote early. The key is to have a plan to vote, which is why I'm going to go and vote in person. Gotcha. You're also running um, this initiative called Protest and Vote. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Sure, sure. So this, I mean, it's the shirt I'm wearing right now, right? Yeah, um, and the shirt that I've been wearing, I think, in the last two podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you got more shirts than me, or you've been stealing them out my trunk <laughs> or some shit, right? So, uh, so Protest and Vote. So that's, that's an initiative that came out of um, during the pandemic, I was, you know, as someone who was out there, like, in the streets, someone who was representing uh, politicians as clients as well, um, the two most important things, the thing that 2020 personifies for me is protesting and voting. I was doing a lot of interviews around protesting, and I just kept saying it, like, this is what we need to do, protest and vote. And... Um, a friend of mine, she's a marketing genius, and she said, you need to do something with that. And I said, you're probably right. So we partnered together and immediately started the process of trademarking it. Because being a political practitioner and working on so many different campaigns, being out in the streets uh, protesting... I saw a way for those two things to come together. We wanted to harness the energy around the protest and ensure that translated into mass voter mobilization. And it's as simple as that. Like we're out, we're out here protesting for our rights. We, we have to be using our rights as well. And that comes through voting. That's probably the simplest tool that each and every individual citizen can use to amplify their voice, to use their voice, actually. 
and to have it be heard. So we're doing a lot of voter education awareness, some of it which is on the ground, some of which is online. Uh, but we're running this campaign and it's not just about the presidential election and it's not just about New York. Like we're working with different folks all over the country, but it's just two of us right now. We're building it up um, and trying to educate voters on different issues. Some of the stuff that you and I have been, you know, talking about here today um, and, you know, some thing, things that things that people don't necessarily read. On Facebook, things like just letting folks know how important it is um, to vote in this election. Because let's say any any bill that's most important to whoever comes up for a vote before the Senate, and there's a tie, the vice president casts the tying vote when there's a tie in the Senate. A lot of people don't know that. So as we're kind of like, is Joe Biden is Kamala Harris? The, I mean, what do we do? We want. Mike Pence to be the tie-breaking vote for Obamacare? Do we want Mike Pence to be the tie-breaking vote, vote for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act? Um, or any measure that can improve the quality of life for American citizens? No, we don't. So I put a lot of energy into this. Our partners put a lot of energy into this. And... For whatever reason, people just don't see the right to vote uh, to be that important. So we're, we're trying to just debunk that myth right. and ensure as many people as possible get out there to vote now and continuously. New York City, our mayor is up for election, as you know, next year. Two-thirds of the city council is up for re-election. And they're going to be shaping policies in New York City. And we've seen New York City get turned upside down this past year. So electing the right leaders is incredibly important. Holding them accountable is incredibly important. And we're going to protest for our rights when need be. We're going to vote for the right leaders when need be as well. So that's where that, that's where that came out of. And maybe I'll come up with another thing that's like protest, vote, accountability, something like that. Nice, nice. <laughs> no, but like I, I've been seeing that shirt a lot. And where are the proceeds going to? So the proceeds, so 25% of the proceeds are going to a nonprofit uh, that I run. Well, I don't. Well, I'm the founder of it, so I don't run it. But I have five other board members, and basically, what we do is we connect people of color to different opportunities in politics, government, uh, art, and entertainment. And this is one of the things that I really dove deep into during the pandemic, with all all of the job loss that's happening. We wanted to find these opportunities. And then we wanted to find qualified candidates of color to fill these opportunities, right? Almost kind of like a matchmaker. And when, you know, white CEOs are out there or candidates, politicians, whoever they are, leading companies, corporations, whatever it is, when they're out there saying, we wanted to hire somebody of color, but we just couldn't find them. We want to be able to say, here's 1,000. Is this enough? So the efforts that we're doing with protest and vote, a portion of the efforts are going to go towards helping us to build infrastructure for Build the Bench, uh, which is the which is the nonprofit that you're referring to. That's what's up, and and as far as Build the Bench, what are your thoughts on um, building the bench locally for New York? Mm-hmm. Like how do you see? Because when I think about building the bench, I think about 
putting judges on the bench. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that is that the reason for the name? So, yes. Or it's broader than that? Because from what I sense, it's broader than that. Yeah, it's broader than that. I mean, judges could be one thing. Judges in New York uh, are elected. So it could be judges. It's any it's any politician. Um, we we, we want to find and cultivate candidates to run for office, train them to run for office uh, as well. And building the bench is also having the recognition that there comes a time where you are not going to be in office forever. You, well, not you, but like we need to start grooming younger candidates to run for office, you know? And, and one of the things that we say is like, as the community evolves, so must the policies, right? We can't, we can't have the same person in there for 20, 30, 40 years and the community is changing. Right. Not that, not that the policies need to change um, to satisfy like, a gentrifying community. I would be very clear about that. But looking at where I live in Brooklyn, in Black Brooklyn specifically, in Brownsville even more specifically, you know, we need to ensure that the policies are reflective of the long-time residents that have been there, but also inviting to folks who want to come in. But ensuring that the new folks that come in are not displacing the people who made Brooklyn what it is today of course of course and all the things that we're able to enjoy about the creative energy in brooklyn so so what is the process in finding these individuals so, these qualified individuals because mm-hmm. like, i think it's important for us to highlight that they're qualified right right so uh we all have very extensive networks um and just know tons of people and we've just been you know we we had a few events we're going to do an event this sunday um, and we're just constantly networking, growing, and building our list, and determining who's looking right now, and then also where are the opportunities. And we have an online platform that we're using to try and like constantly just you know running an email marketing campaign to get folks to join the platform so we could interact as a community as well. And do you think the current climate is a good time for these initiatives? to um, really take form 100% think that I think if somebody wants to start something like that they absolutely should like I I wasn't trying to have a productivity race with myself during the pandemic it just so happens that um, I'm someone who's I've always viewed myself as a problem solver Um, and, and I've always you know working for myself one of one of the skills that I picked up on very early is, you know, there there could be other people out there that do what you do. So one, you have to do it the best, right? Or try to do it the best. Two, you have to do it uniquely. Like, what's my unique take on it? To, and three, it's if there's someone that does exactly what I do, I got to be able to do a couple things so I could then fill that void or whatever that is for that for that company right. or for that client. Right. Right. Make your make sure make sure that you're always needed. So for me, uh, I saw a void. I I decided to launch build the bench, and it's been going great so far. We're we're young we're a young nonprofit, um, but we're doing well. We're building up. Protest and vote, same thing. Even younger, um, but I saw a void. Yeah. I, I I needed folks to say, 
yeah, we're protesting, but, you know, 15 million people have protested since George Floyd was murdered. 50 states and 40 countries. The largest march movement, civil rights movement of this country's history. If we could translate that into constituency power, if we could translate that into voting power, we would be in much better shape nationally, locally, whatever the case may be. We could start to put the power back in the hands of the people right. and shape in this country, man. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important for folks like you that understand the pulse of the community to go out there into these hall rooms, into these uh, legislative, uh, you know, lobbies, I guess, if you will, mm-hmm. to, you know, help them understand mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. the sentiment right. and, and where are we going, right. you know, from, you know, starting from the grassroots level. Big up to you on that. Thank you, man. Um, but aside from protest and vote and aside from uh, building the bench and aside from you getting yourself out there in these streets, <laughs> you also work as a consultant. I'm a reformed consultant. Yeah, so explain what a reformed consultant is, please. You know, talking about like doing things differently. Any Anybody after a certain amount of time could probably be a political consultant. Mm. Um, but I started to use a title uh, of political practitioner, right? Because I wanted to be somebody who wasn't so transactional as it pertains to my business and, and how I made my money. And I wanted to be very intentional with who I made my money with and how I did it and how I connected with those clients. So in politics, in such a transactional business, it's, I'll do this, you do that, right? But if there's no, if there's no deep connection there, then it's just a one-off. The way I've done it is getting on the ground, building these relationships, which I then became a practitioner because I wanted to practice the art of politics, movement, movement work, and community building. And some of those relationships I've built are, are longstanding and have been around for like over a decade now. Mm. And so now it's to the point where people have seen my body of work where when I bring something to them, sometimes they don't even question it. And, and what a responsibility that is for me. Because now it's kind of like, all right, well, usually you had someone to hold you accountable to say, who's this or what's that about? Now, a lot of times I bring it, they're like, what do you need me to do? And (laughs) right, right, (laughs) right. That's a lot of pressure. That's that's a lot of pressure. But it's also, it forces me to hold myself accountable to say, would you bring this to Mrs. So-and-so? Because when I'm talking about these people, I'm talking about like old black women that live who were born and raised in Brooklyn, who live in affordable housing, or who live in rent-controlled housing, live in all sorts of housing, but will say, is this this good, Andre? And I'm like, yeah, this is good. And they're like, all right, cool. So it it forces me to be like, you trying to make money off this, or you're trying to uplift the community off this? Right. And it's it's kind of it slowed my money, but like the money like feels good. It feels so much better now. Right, right. I know, and and you know, you and I we've spoken a lot about Tons. that, about the work that you do now, especially now, has to align with who you are spiritually, 
uh, on many levels. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they kind of have to marry each other. So um, I'm proud of you for uh, taking those steps, even though it may affect your money. Uh, but you seem happier. You Way. seem more relaxed, uh, more intentional, mm-hmm. you know, and I think is a result of those decisions. Thank you, brother. Definitely, for sure. And, you know, talking about being a reformed political consultant, what has been the initiatives that you've pushed in the past that you're most proud of? Well, you know, I think think that as a black man, I have the responsibility to take on issues that affect my communities the most. Um, So that has been healthcare issues, uh, like trying to ban... Um, or sorry, try to restrict menthol products, right? So I know that I always talk about reverse engineering our past. This is what politicians should be doing. So I have to hold myself accountable in that same way. So I know that, you know, through history and through my research, um, menthol products were given to our community for free, Mm. right? To get us hooked. And... They were, put, they were putting black folks like in commercials in a time where, where black folks couldn't get gigs in commercials. Right. So then now here we are as black and brown communities seeing our people on TV like, oh, wow, like he, he she, she's made it. She's made it. She's on TV. I don't know. Newport. Oh, cool, cool. Well, this must be good. Going back to exactly what I said before, which is like when I bring something to somebody, they're like, all right, cool, because they trust me. Right. So in a moment where we're trusting each other, we didn't understand that we were being used by big tobacco. Mm. Right. So that's an issue that I fought for. I'm proud of. Uh, we banned flavored electronic cigarettes, which uh, which harm kids. And that that was a tremendous win, at least in, on the New York City level. We did it. Still working on the state level to see what happens with that. Um, and then I worked on a bunch of voting reform issues to make it more accessible for people of color to vote trying to move restrictions. One of the fights that I took on that's not not quite happened yet is uh, restoration of voting rights for people on parole. But most recently, we just passed, uh, I think it was last year, automatic voter registration. Um, I worked with the coalition that, you know, we, we got early voting in New York. Last year was the first year for that. Same day registration. Um, and we just want to be able, can you imagine that like New York City never had early voting? when so many of these other states did, and we're supposed to be the progressive beacon uh, of the world. So expanding expanding voting rights for folks, man, has been like uh, something that's that's been like very rewarding for me, especially when I look at the history of, you know, what, what voting meant to our people back in the day right. and what they did to even get the right to vote and now to see it being suppressed, that it's being suppressed the way it is, like there's there's no more important work that I could be doing right now uh, than that. In such a in such a important time for you to be doing that work. Yeah, yeah, no, right. it is, it is. It feels great too, man. And it's like just I'm just doing. It feels natural. It's just it's just I'm just there, sharing information. That's how I look at. It. I'm sharing information, and. Sometimes I get paid to share that information, but right. regardless, I'm getting paid or not. Like, like I don't, I don't make a salary at Build the Bench or protest and vote, and you know, I'm just 
constantly sharing information because I feel like our goal is to, in life, is to empower one another with whatever that thing might be that we want to empower the other person with. And I agree. And I agree. And and talking about empowering uh, the communities, what is your stance with the legalization of marijuana? We've talked about it extensively, mm-hmm. you know, and one would think that this is the best time for the city to legalize marijuana since the city desperately needs the revenue mm-hmm. due to everything that happened with COVID. Uh, New Jersey Governor Murphy uh, was just the other day praising Pennsylvania right. for the recent right. legalization and claiming that they did it right by uh, moving the state against unfair drug laws, mm-hmm. ensuring fairness for minority-owned businesses, and also helping the communities most affected. Right, and it's on the ballot next year in New Jersey. But it was okay. It yeah. was also on the ballot last year, wasn't it? Um, in New I, Jersey, I think. I, I think, think we were close. We were close. We were close. I forget what type of. The reason why it didn't go through, I think it was, you know, I may be wrong, but I think it had to deal with the lack of a defined plan as to mm-hmm. where the revenue was going. Yeah, and that was that was the same thing in New York too. I don't I don't know the exact issue in Jersey, but that was the same thing in New York. Okay, and I, and I know, I know that's 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 an important issue, right? That's um, that has to be a key piece of it. So obviously, like I'm a big supporter of legalization uh, of cannabis, and you know, I think it's a great time for cities and states to use this. As an engine for economic recovery, mm-hmm. I think it, I think it's the perfect time to do that. Um, I always think it's I think it's the perfect time to undo some of the policies that have kept people of color in prison, that uh, white boys are making millions of dollars off of. I think that this is the most opportune time to give people to give black people their forty acres and a mule. Mm-hmm which we were promised before and never got. And I think this is the right time to be aggressive with legislation as it pertains to legalization. So whatever whatever the baseline requirement uh, or prerequisite is to give away however many license, depending on whatever state, a certain percentage um, have to go to applicants of color I think they need to raise that bar and be far more aggressive with it because we know with anything, with any sort of affirmative action measure, um, it's never held up, right? So it becomes really good for others who are considered to be like in a, and I don't even like to use the word minority, uh, but it's been, it's been great for others, I will say, but if, if we're not, and again, man, like I always come back to this. If, if we're not trying to, if we're not sending the message to be more aggressive in the policies in 2020 and we're moving at the same pace that we moved in 1970 and 1980 and even 1990, then I don't, I, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it. So I get why folks tend to go radical with stuff, but like this is something that we actually should go radical with. Right. That can benefit a lot of people, man. A lot of people. And plus, I think people need to... People need to chief, too, man. Like, Listen, relax. 
I mean, we've been, we've endured some stressful times. Yo, straight up. And like the, the medicinal properties are like amazing. Right. And, and CBD too. They need to legalize CBD. I've taken a bunch of CBD and it's like really helped my inflammation. So. Right, right. You know, there's always going to be people that are going to be abusing, mm-hmm. right? Any substance. So that shouldn't stop us from not legalizing marijuana. Nope. Yeah. I'm for it. But, uh, 100%. But yeah, man. Well, I am too, and you know that. Right. Um, <laughs> so thank you, man. So now you got to get back to Brooklyn. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. So so what's up? Because you're not originally from Brooklyn. <laughs> no, I'm not. What what drove you to Brooklyn, man? Oh man, um, what drove me to Brooklyn? So work. I started I started working in Brooklyn in 2007, um, and in politics, and then moved back to. Um, Jersey City, mm-hmm. and then started to work back in Brooklyn again, and then this time I just stayed because I was just kind of like, oh wow, this energy is amazing. Right. I'm around like a lot of progressive Black folks, um, a lot of creatives, nonstop. You know, you can get that in other areas, but like it was nonstop. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't matter what I was doing. There was constant networking with people of color all day long. Mm-hmm. And not that I was just like going out there like, oh, I need to network. It would just be like, it would just happen because everybody was looking for that. Like that form of solidarity, like, oh, this is my brother right here. Like, let's, right. you know, or you just strike up a conversation. Right. And I agree. Listen, I'm a, you know, as, as you know, I was raised in, in Harlem. 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 Um, but I, I would say, uh, my years in Brooklyn, and I had 10 years in Brooklyn. Oh, damn, you were there for 10 years? I was there for 10 years. Uh, shout out to Park Slope. But, you know, I... No one shouts out Park Slope. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, that's what I was going to say. But Fort Greene was just a few minutes away. Okay, okay. And I would okay. hang out in Fort Greene. And um, just, again, and I agree with what you say wholeheartedly, is that the energy that I got from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. the amount of... The amount of folks of color, young people of color, mm-hmm. that came from many different places right. to reside in Brooklyn right. and bring their creative energies, their their different experiences, mm-hmm. you know, whether they were Caribbean, whether they were African Americans from other places, whether they were white folks from other places. It was it was a beautiful thing to watch. And I didn't really get that energy anywhere else. Right, same. And same. It, it was it was kind of disconnected from this yeah. pressure, this sense of like always to have to to make money. People were just doing different things. Right. I right. never met so many freelancers ever in my life yeah, until right. I, I got to Brooklyn. So um, yeah, shout out to Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a huge part of who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've changed tremendously because I've experienced Brooklyn. Same, so same. shout out to that, man. And shout out to all those folks organizing in Brooklyn, also in Harlem, also in the Bronx and in other boroughs. Before we leave, I want our listeners to leave here knowing you a bit more, if that is possible. So if you can, uh, please share with us folks dead or alive whose life inspired you and who or what had a specific character trait that you've always wanted to emulate? For example, mine was Barack Obama for mm-hmm. his understanding that intellect is a journey, not a destination. Mm-hmm. 
And you see that in the way he led and how he engaged people. And as for what, I also get inspired whenever I see, for example, a silver lining in the sky. Because they usually almost always appear after a terrible storm. Mm -hmm. So for you, if there is a, a person or a, a thing that truly inspires you, please share. So so interesting because I'd, I'd heard about this brother and you, you know him and I I started to see and I read his autobiography um, like the last about two months ago mm. and I started to see um, I started to see him as someone who I wanted to emulate based on his his uh, proximity to the activist space and the political space and that was Stokely Carmichael. Mm. And, you know, I, I got to the point where when I was reading it, I understood why he was willing to <clears throat> he was willing to take the chances that he took. I understand why he was willing to go through what he went through. And that I also understood why he thought that, you know, maybe entering into um, elected office might be something that he should explore because I've, I've experienced that as well. Um, but what he was able to do in terms of his organizing abilities, the fact that he always wanted to be known as, no matter how big he got, he always wanted to be known as somebody who was an organizer. Mm. Uh, and that's someone that like, I've always had a lot of respect for. He was so fluid in his speech too, man. Mm -hmm. It was like, he never took a breath. Never. He was just, never. he spoke from the dome. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's someone great to watch doing this work. Right, right, right. Okay. Any more? Um, so, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, uh, he leads a spiritual center called Agape out in California. Mm. And when I first had my awakening, that was like the first person I was connected to. And his teachings, again, are just amazing. Taught me to go into self taught me to recognize my own worth mm. and taught me basically got me on the path and elevated me to a place to read certain things and to understand certain things and to apply spiritual practicing into my work which has allowed my work to be as fulfilling uh, as it's been man so like mm. those two right now I would say are like the two folks who I admire the most. That's what's up, brother. And where can we find you? Instagram. Obviously, you're back on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there, man, but I'm not there. I don't even know if you can see me on there. Man. I'm okay. hiding over there. Um, Instagram, Andre, A-N-D-R-E underscore uh, Richardson. Okay. And But most importantly, you can follow uh, at Protest and Vote uh, as well. Okay, and also build the bench, right? And at build the bench and why? I don't want to be throwing out like five different like. There we go. You gotta do what you gotta do, right? Exactly. Well, <laughs> my brother, thank you for my all brother. you do. My brother, <laughs> Lord have mercy, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, good Lord. Thank you for all you do, my brother, and thank, thank you, you for taking the time out of your busy schedule and out of all the necessary work that you're doing to come check me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, man. Keep no, doing what you're doing. No problem, man. Stay off of Twitter. All right. <laughs>